friends and fellow obscure lady enthusiasts. Welcome back to She Existed, wherein I create snack-sized podcasts aimed at broadening your awareness of a woman or women previously little or unknown to me. You may know all about her, but I don't, and I'm excited, so I want to share with everyone I know who is willing to click on and listen to my podcast. <laughs> Basically, um, I recently started working on a novel that required a lot of very interesting Googling, and I just kept stumbling across these fucking rad women from history that I have never heard a peep about before, and I wanted to find a way to keep a record of all of them and thought maybe other people would be interested to learn as well. Also, great procrastination from said novel. <laughs> Somehow, I am way better at these little side projects than keeping my damn focus on the thing I'm supposed to be working on. Anyway, so to get us started, uh, I thought I'd talk a little bit more about kind of my approach to all of this. So what you're going to find as I go through all these things is that, you know, a lot of these women and people that I'm talking about are shrouded in the very mysterious but unfortunately often delegitimatizing cloak of myth. But that doesn't really bother me, to be very honest with you. Um, many, many people or events or even places have been assumed to be mythological until the right scroll was found in some desert, or worse, finally unearthed in some Englishman's attic where great-great-uncle Rupert stuck it after his adventures in darkest uncivilized somewhere. And while, yes, the accuracy of myth, especially in an oral tradition, isn't necessarily objectively verifiable, neither is any history. Not really. Not when you dig into the bits and pieces that make it interesting. The feelings, the thoughts, the presumed causes and effects. History is, of course, written by the victors. Hell, look at U.S. history. What I read in my high school AP U.S. history textbook is nothing at all like what I experienced reading Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. And like it or not, the victors of history, well, thus far, and for maybe the last 5,000 or so years, have been men. So it's not really surprising to me that a lot of women have been relegated to the annals of myth and legend, or that their roles and responsibilities may be poorly understood from our own modern perspective. Don't get me wrong, I am very pro-archaeology, very pro the scientific method. Yet, while we don't always have objective evidence or proof available, that doesn't mean we should just disregard the whispers and stories that we have at our disposal, especially about women because often it just wasn't seen as that important to keep a record of the achievements of women. So often they're just demoted to being like a wife who was present at a discovery or even just forgotten. Uh, one great example of that that pops up for me is the story of Granuel or Grace O'Malley, the now famous Irish pirate. Thanks to the exhaustive work of one woman, I think uh, in the 70s or 80s, I think it was, but Anne Chambers, we now know that she was definitively real with tons of evidence to back it up. But before Chambers' hard work, people just assumed she was purely myth because, well, whoever heard of a woman pirate? So I guess my point is, evidence is fantastic. But we shouldn't be so quick to dismiss myth as a resource as well. Myth has informed our histories and cultural realities for millennia. So anyway, we're going to dive into it. So some of these women I'm talking about, we may not have 100% consensus that they existed in the flesh exactly, but I still think that they are important, and they existed at least in the sense that they affected their times and subsequent times as well, and that I think is very important. So anyway, that was a bit of a digression, but I think an important one. So let's dive into today's uh, subject, Rhodopis. Uh, as ever, a disclaimer that these are but little tasters of knowledge, hardly a complete exploration of the subject, and my pronunciation will almost certainly be garbage. 
But as a super quick overview, uh, Rhodopis lived in the 6th century BCE. We know about her mainly from a contemporaneous account of Sappho, the poet, which was only very recently rediscovered. The main account of her life that has been used historically was from Herodotus's account, uh, which wasn't written until a couple of centuries later and relied heavily upon Sappho's poem, which again was lost until very recently. Also have a few other later accounts, such as the Greco-Roman Strabo's version of events from a few centuries after Herodotus, so uh, that's just kind of a broad overview. Rhodopis, also known as Dorica, was said to be a hetaira, which is a kind of higher-class courtesan of ancient Greece, to contrast that with just being a simple prostitute. Uh, more on them on another episode, for sure, because they are very fascinating as a group. But Rhodopis lived in ancient Greece in the 6th century BCE, although she was probably originally from Thrace. You may not recognize the country of Thrace, which was sort of snuggled between a modern-day Bulgaria and Turkey with a small border on Greece as well, but I am sure you're familiar with some of its more famous denizens, so Orpheus, the legendary liar-player of myth, Spartacus, you know, the guy that we all are, uh, Democritus, who originated atomic theory, uh, they were all from Thrace, though I'm sure I and maybe you always just thought of them as Greek. You know what? Side note, I have been utterly overwhelmed by how oversimplified history is as taught, <laughs> generally speaking. Like, the concept of citizenship and countryhood has really been shaken up for me lately. But suffice to say, there are so many cultures and boundaries and countries throughout history that it almost seems pointless to identify someone beyond their most immediate friend and family network. Anyway, uh, I feel like we need to get Rhodopis on this list of famous Thracians because I don't know why she wouldn't be on it if we are including people like Orpheus. Mm, patriarchy at work, maybe? I don't know, but who knows how to Wikipedia, because let's get this done. Man, I can't even believe I just spent that long talking about Thrace uh, because it doesn't even really matter for our story. Because poor Rhodopis, whose name means rosy-cheeked or uh, rosy-eyed, I read somewhere I don't speak Greek, so hard to say, she was enslaved, probably very, very early on in her life. According to a few sources, she was actually the fellow slave of Aesop. Yes, that Aesop, the one with the fables, the ones that I read when I was a kid and my, my dad read to me. Apparently, we are also not totally sure if Aesop existed, although, again, like, what exactly do we need to be totally sure that someone existed? Like, are several separate people writing about these individuals not enough? I'm genuinely curious about what constitutes sufficient evidence, but anyway, we're not 100% sure about Aesop, but allegedly, Rhodopis and he were slaves together. So Rhodopis was a slave with Aesop, and I hope he told her many, many beautiful stories. Uh, in some versions of their story, they were lovers, but regardless, eventually they were sold separately. Ugh, God, what a horrible phrase. Lover sold separately. Ugh. Anyway, she ended up in the city of Nocratus in the present-day Egypt. Eventually, her beauty caught the attention of one Caraxes, a trader from the island of Lesbos, who was so enamored of her that he ended up purchasing her freedom. Good guy, I guess, considering. But it seems like Rhodopis did not return his affections, because she actually stayed behind in Nocratus and continued to ply her trade as a beautiful and in-demand courtesan, only now she would get to keep all of the money that she made, which seems fair. We know all of this because Caraxes was the brother of the famous poet Sappho of Lesbos, whose poem about the whole debacle was one of Herodotus's resources for his account, which until recently was our main account for her story closest in time to Rhodopis's actual life. But, as I alluded to before, in 2014, a bunch of poems of Sappho's were rediscovered and published, one of which 
basically just pokes fun at her brother for being beguiled and bewitched out of all of his money by Rhodopis, whom she also calls Dorica. Rhodopis, as I've said, uh, refers to her rosy cheeks or eyes, so one hypothesis is that that was kind of like her stage name. Um, so her real name could have been Dorica, and she goes by Rhodopis, but nevertheless, she is mostly referred to by the name Rhodopis. So the new Sappho poem is kind of like Lily Allen's song about her little brother Alfie and how all he does is smoke weed all day. <laughs> I couldn't find a direct translation of the poem, sadly, just a description of it, but it's still a pretty funny story. So we also know that after she was able to keep all of her money for herself, Rhodopis became a patron of the temple at Delphi. She tithed her income in the form of huge spits she had made for roasting oxen, which apparently Herodotus actually saw in place at the temple a couple of hundred years later. Not a bad gift. So that's what we know about her from her contemporary, Sappho, and her most famous biographer, Herodotus. But there's one more fascinating piece of her story, which may have been added in later on, but it is very pertinent to us today. Strabo, a Greco-Roman philosopher living much later than Herodotus, Sappho, and Rhodopis, so at around uh, 60 BCE through, I think he died in 24 CE, and Aelian, um, I think his name, real name was Marcus Aelius, but we, they call him Aelian, Aelian, something like that, uh, a Roman teacher living over 100 years after him, so I think around 170 CE, both tell another story about Rhodopis that is perhaps her most enduring, and with which you are certainly familiar, although you may not know it. I'll recount it in Strabo's words straight from his Geography, Book 17. Farther on, at a great height of the mountain, is the third pyramid. It is said to be the tomb of a courtesan built by her lovers, whose name, according to Sappho the poetess, was Dorica. She was the mistress of her brother Caraxus, who traded with the port of Nocratus with the wine of Lesbos. Others called her Rhodopis. A story is told of her that, when she was bathing, an eagle snatched one of her sandals from the hands of her female attendant, and carried it to Memphis. The eagle, soaring over the head of the king, who was administering justice at the time, let the sandal fall into his lap. The king, struck with the shape of the sandal and the singularity of the accident, sent over the country to discover the woman to whom it belonged. She was found in the city of Nocratus and brought to the king who made her his wife. At her death, she was honored with the above-mentioned tomb. So, Basically, this is the earliest known version of a story we all know and love today. Cinderella! No singing mice in this one, although one version of the tale I came across did mention that she only had animal friends, no human friends, which is kind of a funny little extra, but whatever. There are lots of little variants that I've come across in this. Some say that the sandal was a gift of Caraxus and she was sad to lose it. I don't know how true I feel like that would be since she basically told him peace after he bought her freedom, but... Anyway, lots of different little tweaks, but overall, basically, the Cinderella story. So it's cool that we're still continuing to evolve and grow our understanding of history, and we're able to add new evidence to support Rhodopis' story and existence. Like I said, uh, Sappho didn't write about the Cinderella-y part of her story, but since the focus of her poem was to just absolutely lash her brother, not to give a history of Rhodopis, I don't think that necessarily means that it didn't happen, just that she didn't write about it. One other point that I found really interesting is that an even later writer, Athenius of Nocratus, from the 3rd century CE, actually tries to negate this by claiming that Rhodopis and Dorica were two different women. One a courtesan, one an extremely proper, pious, probably chaste woman. Now, I don't really have any evidence for what I'm about to postulate, but to be honest, this type of retroactive sanitization wouldn't surprise me in the least, because it's a method as old as time. 
I can imagine if you're writing a history of your pharaohs in your city, you may not particularly love the idea that one of them may have married a courtesan. Ah, that is not a super popular occupation. Well, (laughs) I mean, I guess it's probably one of the most popular occupations of all time, uh, but definitely not usually a very respected one. I mean, even as recently as the 20th century, writer Olive Miller recreated a version of the Rodopis Cinderella story that changed her from a courtesan to a young maiden to make it more palatable for her audience, who I think was her daughter. So that makes sense. But anyway, this happens all the time to men as well as women. We like our history squeaky clean. So for my part, um, I'm just going to continue to enjoy Sappho's hilarious mockery of her dumb, beauty-whipped brother. <laughs> like, seriously, though, apparently the verb Herodotus used to describe what Sappho did, uh, again, going to butcher this, katakertomeo in Greek, uses the prefix kata, which adds strong emphasis. So it translates basically to rail violently, or basically mocked him with great violence. Siblings never really change, do they? <laughs> so... Tales of Rhodopis changed our history and gave us one of the earliest versions of our most beloved stories. Rhodopis, Dorica, existed, and she deserves to be remembered. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about her as much as I enjoyed researching it. Um, I thought this was going to be one of the shorter episodes, but I really went down some rabbit holes and just couldn't resist all these fun little details. Here are some terms you can use in your hunt for more information. Uh, Rhodopis is spelled R-H-O-D-O-P-I-S. Dorica is spelled D-O-R-I-C-H-A. Sappho, S-A-P-P-H-O, and specifically for this, you're looking for the brother's poem, which um, kind of has this funky thing where she's like comparing her brothers, like one is a fool, one is virtuous. It seems like it's an interesting one. I, I hope I'll get to actually read the content of it someday. Strabo's Geography is Book 17, Chapter 1. And then for fun, I would research origins of the Cinderella story because it has origins in almost all the corners of the globe that I could see. Um, there was a really interesting Chinese legend that maybe I'll, I'll get into one day, in addition, of course, to the European ones that turned into the Disney one that we many of us know and love. But um, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you learned something new today. Hey,